Hello everybody and welcome back to AMTV Radio, the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time and we talk about well, whatever we want to, really. And for today's guest, I'm joined by someone who, in the creative sense, has pretty much done everything the industry has to offer. She is an actor, a director, a writer, a singer, a producer, practically everything. Introducing Helen Goldwyn. Helen, thank you for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's always very flattering to be asked. So, yeah, now I'm looking forward to it. As am I. I'm looking forward to having a big old chat about a lot of your work. I'm sure some of you listening or watching will know Helen's name from stuff she's done for Big Finish Productions, a lot of Doctor Who amongst other things. But where I wanted to start, Helen, I wanted to go way back, right to the beginning, when you were when you were a young wee lass. What inspired you or what was the spark to get you into acting or performing? Because everyone's got a different story, haven't they? Well, very, it's very cheesy, really. Um, <laughs> I remember being very young. I must have been about five. Mm. And I was sitting in the car with my mum. And the wind, the branches in the trees were moving in the wind. And I said to her, I want to dance like the branches in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she started me on ballet lessons. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing all the different types of dance. So, I mean, dance was my very first love. Okay. I thought I was going to be it because I went to ballet school, pro oh, proper right. professional ballet school from the age of 12. Um, until 19, I did three hours of dancing, you know, professional dance training a, a day for mm. seven years. Wow. Um, and, but I think all of it is an expression of music. Even drama is an expression of music mm. that underlies everything that I do. Um, and just to become someone different. I never wanted to play myself. I wanted to be all these different characters. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a great, I, again, like, I'm sure not many people knew it started in ballet, because from what, what from what I understand about ballet, I'm not a dancer at all. I've got two left feet as far as I'm concerned. But um, from what you hear about ballet or dance in general, it's quite, it's quite the intense uh, profession, is it not? Like, especially when you're training for that many hours a day. Yeah, I would say we were all obsessive compulsive about it and mm. quite masochistic as well because when you're dancing doing point work on your toes mm. really it's painful yeah. <laughs> and uh, and actually we were kind of we were kind of addicted to the pain of it as well mm. um yeah I mean I really thought I was going to be a dancer and I think over the years I realized that although I had a feel for dance and I was obviously musical I just didn't have the natural physical facility for it. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a certain kind of beautiful aesthetic line. Your legs need to be perfectly straight. You need to have high insteps. And I never had that. And I wasn't naturally supple. So I had to push myself so hard. Mm. And I almost feel like I used up my energy in terms of dance. I, you know, I don't push myself physically like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I did enough. I feel like I never did for dance. <laughs> <laughs> The cha-cha slide was about the best I could muster back when I was younger, and that was about it. So. Well, that's it now. Well, most. Yeah, after a few drinks, especially it is. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> but so so after after dancing, as you say, when you hit nineteen, you sort of stop mm. doing that as intensely. What what was it that sort of want? I guess sort of sparked you to move into more like acting and singing, if you like. 
Well, I'd already started that at 16. I had uh, started the musical theatre course at Arts Educational. So I did the ballet course and then I did the musical theatre course. So the singing and the acting were very, you know, strongly present. Mm. Uh, and actually what I loved most about singing was the acting through song. Yeah. Uh, and I almost felt restricted by being a dancer. If you say you're a dancer and you go for an audition, you'll end up in the ensemble. And if you can act as well, then you'll be the understudy. Yeah. Because it's so useful to have someone like that who can do all of it. And actually, my usefulness worked very much against me mm. at the start of my career. Because And eventually, I didn't admit that I could dance. I would put on my application that I could move. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, I'm going to start you know. doing that on my CV. Yeah. I, can, I can move. I, I can move a bit. Yeah. Because as soon, as soon as you say you're a dancer, you are, um, with acting credits on your CV, you're an understudy. And yeah. I was an understudy for seven years. You know, I just couldn't get out of it. I was way too useful for my own good. It's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? Because you'd think the ability to dance and act would sort of, in a way, as you say, like set you for... <laughs> Not necessarily always being yeah. the understudy. It's a weird way that the industry pu- puts you like that, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, there's the other element that is a played a, has played a very significant part in my career, and that is that the industry rotates around casting type. Mm. You know, your look. Do you fit an archetype? Do you fit, you know, into these categories that we expect from leading ladies and sidekicks and comedy characters? And I quite patently didn't you know I was average Joe I was five foot four white middle class brown hair blue eyed not very exciting to look at you know nothing special physically about me which was great as a blank canvas for a character actor but when you're 19 20 you know people don't want a character actor Uh, so yeah I was my first job was in a uh, Uncle Vanya actually a fantastic production of Uncle Vanya with uh, Kenneth Branagh's company Renaissance Theatre Company and I understudied all three lead women Mm. so one of them is a plain Jane who can't get a a man and the other one is a like a total man trap uh, like (laughs) a honeypot and the men are all around her Mm. and the third one was Uncle Vanya's mother (laughs) um (laughs) And so that should have told me at that stage in my career <laughs> that I am none of these things, all of them, you know. Did you ever get a chance to play all three or? No, oh. no. One can no, dream, I, can't we? <laughs> yes, I did, I did get to do it in the rehearsal and hmm. Richard Briers played Uncle Vanya. Oh, wow. Um, so I did act opposite Richard and that was amazing. Yeah. I- uh, but no. I noticed on him, because I had a look at your your website just to, you know, see what you'd done, what you put on there. And when you scroll down your list of acting credits, you've worked with some (laughs) recognisable names, shall we say. I mean, Judi Dench being one of them. I mean, tell us what that was like working with (laughs) Judi Dench. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always tell this story because it was so surreal for me. I mean, initially, when you start rehearsals, you think, oh, that's Judi Dench. (laughs) And then after a day, it just you forget all that and it's just yeah. a, a fun director who who is you know doing a job and you're just all part of a company but she was doing a play in the west end at the time mm. and i can't remember what it was called and myself and another recent graduate we were in a, i think i was 21 uh, judy said oh do you want to come and see the play i can get you house tickets you know really good tickets and um and afterwards you can come backstage and, and have a glass of champagne and see me <laughs> Uh, and so we drove in her chauffeur-driven car from the theatre, mm. 
where we have been rehearsing or performing. And then we went to her theatre where she was starring in this play. And we sat there and watched this incredible performance where we both went, oh my God, it's Judy Dent. (laughs) (laughs) But that's Judy, that's, you know, that person we're working with, that's that incredible enigma on stage. And then of course, when we went backstage to see her in her dressing room, I I couldn't speak. (laughs) (laughs) Bless you. <laughs> well, I've been laughing and joking with her up to that point, and yeah. then afterwards, when I had had it hit me in the face what a talent she was, yeah. I couldn't speak to her in the same way again. It's so funny, isn't it? Because I remember when I graduated from drama school in 2017, and one of my friends was very lucky to go into a show that went straight into a big tour in the West End. It was the musical The Band, the Take That One, oh, and yeah, she was yeah, one yeah. of the five younger girls. And, uh, you know, I was dead happy for her, got to see her, it was great. And then I saw her at one point and at first I was, I was like, why am I being weird around you? It's like, you're the same person I I saw every (laughs) day for three years, but now you're like this, you're this big star, you know? And she was like, oh, don't be daft. She was like, it is funny. Like when you see someone, I guess you work within that, in that environment, how it sort of makes you go, whoa, okay. Like this is, this is something else. (laughs) But as a general rule, I would say I'm not impressed by celebrity you know I don't I think because the I know that the industry is so over oversubscribed Mm. and I know so many unbelievably talented people who just didn't get their break yeah so yes if you're a celebrity yes I'm sure you've worked hard and I'm sure you've honed your craft but you were also lucky yes absolutely you know others of a similar talent weren't so yeah you know unless you're doing something remarkable with that celebrity it doesn't really impress me yeah (laughs) I think that's sort of what at least when I and I'm not sure about yourself but when I started uh, training in 2014 they sort of said that from the off the first day they sat us down and went look you know we'll help facilitate your skills we'll help train you we'll give you opportunities to perform in plays of this that and the other but they were like this is not a one-way guarantee for success and and I think as an 18-year-old, I, I know I appreciated that, just hearing that off the bat, so you get all that preconceived notions out of your head. I mean, was it the same for you at Arts Ed, or did, was it more just focusing on the work itself? It was very lacking in that kind of advice, actually. We were literally trained up, like, you know, singing, dancing, acting machines, and, and mm. we knew our craft, but we didn't know anything about living in the real world you yeah know, how to pay your bills how to earn oh, money God, between yeah. work how to get do your tax how to sustain yourself emotionally when you're being rejected and rejected mm. you know that was lacking then i know it is very much part of the course that art said now mm. it's integral um but what you also don't get as an actor and i, I deliver courses on this uh, as often as i can um is an understanding, I'm sure you do in modern times, uh, an understanding of the fact that you are a brand, you are a product. Mm. You know, I could never find my brand uh, when I started out. I didn't want to be pigeonholed, but actually you have to allow yourself to be. You have to, because there are too many people and you have to stand out as something very specific and you have to know how to sell that and you have to have that brand go through everything on social media on the oh, yeah. photos that you use you know and actors need to understand that talent is just one small component of success unfortunately 
That's it, really, isn't it? And I mean, I remember mm-hmm. I trained with a lad who um, he had a very sort of, if you like, classic look about him. Very World War One, World War Two era. He had quite a well-spoken accent, and you know, he was always being cast cast as like the posh boy. And at first, he was like, "Why am I always being, you know, the posh boy?" But then I think, as you say, he sort of he understood. He's like, right, well, if that's my casting type, and that's what he's he's done a lot of that since graduating. But it's it's got him work, you know. It's helped him yeah. bump up the credits. And contacts. Yeah, it's contacts. Yeah. So I did a, um, a Christmas show at Chester uh, Repertory Theatre, Chester Rep, uh, and I played a really over-the-top baddie in a children's Christmas the show. The best kind of characters. Of, yeah, at the end of every scene, I'd go, wah, <laughs> <laughs> And I got on very well with the director, Deborah Shaw, who was usually doing very highfalutin Shakespearean productions, mm. and she decided to do a Christmas show for fun. And um, about a year later... I had an email uh, from Deborah saying, would you like to play the lead in high society? Um, <laughs> yes, please. And, uh, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I would never have been even seen for that role. Mm. It, it was just because she knew me. She liked me. She liked my work ethic. She knew I was versatile. I didn't have to audition. She just offered it to me. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. You have to get in. And then diversify. Yeah, it is absolutely aspiring actors listening or watching. Take notes. This is very valuable <laughs> and very realistic information as well from two yeah. people who who are doing it still. So yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, just to focus on stuff you've created, I noticed again from what you've put on your website, you've helped uh, either like write or direct, star in, producer one woman shows. Um, yes. What is yeah. it about for you, like one? Uh, one woman performances because I mean you know a lot of people say right you're going to do a one person show it's just you and they go oh god like I've got to sustain <laughs> you know I've got to sustain that for an hour or whatever it is do you it, like the first time you did it was it that daunting feeling or were you like oh this will be like a good challenge in a way uh well I always embrace challenge and mm. something that scares me and that I haven't done before so that's always a prerequisite for everything that I take on mm. um but the one woman thing I think because I was always Although I lacked confidence about the way I looked uh, and justifiably because, you know, evidenced by my career, my look uh, didn't work for me, but I had a huge amount of confidence in my ability Hmm. and that never, I never lost that. And so, yeah, I just wanted to be challenged and I I had a lot of rage and frustration in everything that I did because I, I couldn't get seen for work. Yeah. And I think this is a, a thing that people don't understand about the acting industry they think you get seen for loads of auditions and you get rejected yeah you don't you if don't only. get through the door if yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I tried so hard I worked so hard I wrote hundreds and hundreds of letters and I knocked on doors and yeah. I crashed auditions and all my peers who were much more conventionally kind of leading lady looking were getting auditions left right and center and I couldn't couldn't achieve that so Mm. that rage and that frustration fueled this alternative creativity Mm. I was it was kind of like a you know a middle finger up to the the establishment really (laughs) we all have a bit of that from time to time (laughs) (laughs) but to answer a bit of your earlier question was it daunting I did my one woman show as the second half of the programme, the first half was the play that I wrote for Louise Jameson, yes, Pulling yeah. Faces. Mm. So I had written a one-woman play for her with lots of input from her, of course. Mm. Uh, and then the second half was my <laughs> musical theatre show, me <laughs> singing songs from the shows. So mm. it was like the Helen Goldwyn night at the Hackney Empire. I like uh, it. Of course, nobody, <laughs> no, 
nobody had ever heard of me. Everyone's like, who the hell is Helen Golden? Um, and as I drove to the theatre to do this show and to watch my play, mm. which is also very nerve-wracking mm. in front of an audience, yeah. I started having a panic attack. Oh, like a proper you. full-on, why am I doing this? Why have I done this to myself? Why? Why? Oh. And I phoned up an old college friend um, who had never heard me in that state before. And I had to pull over on the hard shoulder and he had to talk me down. Oh, man. <laughs> he had to calm me down. And then, of course, I did the show and had the best night of my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it's, so... I completely can you know sympathize with that because i've again i'd mates who've either written stuff for the first time that's getting performed and it is isn't it it's like right oh, before it starts well it's done. it's all those thoughts of um oh but what if what if they don't like it what if it goes wrong what if this what if, yeah. and it all it's it's overwhelming isn't it because it all just comes at you at once and your head's like yeah. what is happening now so yeah why have i done this to myself yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's exposing it's exposing of mm. your creativity your your desire for success it's all ego based as yeah. well and uh, what you don't what I never wanted to feel was embarrassed or undignified or humiliated but of course you have to put yourself in those vulnerable positions yeah to even have a chance of success exactly that so it's it's a it's a clash all the time. Yeah, that was the one thing that was drilled into us in, in training. Be what was it? Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. That was it. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah. yeah, you have to be, I suppose, because if you show signs of being like, oh, uh, then you know, mm. it doesn't get you far, does it? But um, no. I mean, you already <laughs> mentioned pulling faces with Louise Jameson, which of course, when it were, when it came out, was a big success. It, it toured for quite a while, didn't it? Twenty eleven and twenty twelve, if I've got my yeah. Yeah, right. it yeah. went to, went to quite a few venues and and had lots of outings. It's also been shown in Chicago and international. Uh, a couple, yeah, a couple yeah. of other American venues. Um, so yeah, it was you know just one of those amazing opportunities. Not only was it a creative joy, mm. it cemented this very uh, valuable friendship that I have with Louise. She's one of my dearest, m most valued friends. Yeah. Um, and I feel so unbelievably privileged to have her in my life. Mm. No, and she's she's a wonderful actress as well. I mean, I think Pulling oh. Faces is still available for download on the Big Finish website, actually, I think. Yes, because we did record it as a, an audio drama. Yes, mm. yeah, it's still available. Yeah. So anyone who didn't okay. see it at the time, who's curious, head over to Big Finish and you will find it yeah. there. And uh, again, like it was, it was so funny making notes for this because you've done so much and your career is so varied. So I thought if I picked everything, we'd be here for hours and hours. But um, yeah. just to touch on your on the singing side of things, of course, because as you say, you are a singer. There's clips of you singing available on your website as well, and you yeah. performed with the uh, Piccadilly Orchestra, was it the for years? Yes, the Piccadilly yeah. Dance Orchestra. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So in between acting work, I had a regular gig with the, we call it the PDO, mm. at the Savoy, at the Savoy Hotel on a Saturday night. Um, it was a dinner dance, very posh, very expensive dinner dance event. And I did that off and on for 10 years. Wow. Uh, so we had a repertoire of uh, over 100 songs. <laughs> and because I, obviously the musicians would have their music with them, but I wasn't allowed music. Oh. So sometimes the band leader would say, let's do thanks for the memory <laughs> and I think well I don't know the, I don't know what the lyrics are for that <laughs> and then the, uh, the overture would start and then I'd open my mouth and just trust that 
the words would come out. As long as they um, rhyme, you're all right. So, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. I've done that. It's Anyone listening, it's not advisable, but in the moment, if you're panicking, my head is as long as it rhymes and it makes some sort of coherent yeah. sense, then then it should be all right. Because at a dinner dance, you know, some people, they'll be drinking or eating. Only those who are looking yeah. at you going, hmm, are those the lyrics? <laughs> Do you know, I did a I did a contract, just one contract for seven months as a singer on um, a cruise ship for piano mm. cruises, which is where I met my husband. But that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> and I was thrown on. I was thrown on at the last minute to replace someone who dropped out. Okay. <clears throat> so I didn't have enough rehearsal time, and they put me on stage to sing a medley um, of show tunes. And I had to sing a song called "Look What's Happened." Look what happened to Mabel, which is a patter song. See that fascinating creature with perfection stamped on every feature. She was named Sally, the thing from the alley, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I couldn't, I started the song. See that fascinating creature. Dee 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 but hey, actors have to improvise, right? And that was, you know, you... oh lord. That's well, it. I was known as D. I was known as Dee Dee from then on. That was my nickname. I think that's the thing about, I guess, especially with things like cruise ships. Once you get a thing where you can be nicknamed, that that's it. Then you're stuck yeah, with that for stuck. the rest of the run. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I've I've not ever done a cruise ship before, but I know a lot of friends who have. And I think, um, just to touch on it briefly, I think, to my view anyway, cruise ships to some extent still have this sort of stigma about them it's like oh once you're on it yeah. or it's like once well, you're on it that's it then or or vice ver- versa it is very easy to get stuck because what happened to me was I did my seven month contract and I immediately got offered another one yeah and when you're struggling financially yeah and you've just come back from the Caribbean you know you've been in the Caribbean <laughs> for three months <laughs> and I someone mean... says do you want to do all that again most people will say yes yeah um but I was a bit crazy and super ambitious so I said no and I think I was unemployed for months afterwards (laughs) (laughs) but it but it is hard isn't it especially with things like I think cruise ships are some of the hardest things to take into account in that respect because like you say the contracts are always so long like six months minimum and I guess when you're planning that out in your life it's like I've just done that for six months do is it necessarily what I want to do again and if you've got family or friends and it's all yeah. that you know but um i'd be it's curious to try the, it the, oh i would highly recommend at least one contract to mm. everyone it was the incredible uh, most incredible experience yeah i sailed around the planet you know we did a world yeah, cruise yeah. I, sa- I sailed into sydney harbour and and i got paid <laughs> to go ashore and have fun all day and then come back and do the show <laughs> the best kind of jobs yeah <laughs> oh incredible it's not to love <laughs> exactly uh well i think we'll use that as a segue to talk about um sort of your history and story with big finish if you like which i'm sure mm. some listeners of this show who are especially doctor who fans will know your name from that and again i've been i only got into really listening to the audio dramas in the past year through the lockdown and all that sort of stuff uh, and yeah it's funny how um, you know, I I think the first ones I heard of yours were the stuff you'd either uh, directed or written. But then I went back right. to the early stuff in the main range, and there you are again. So you you again you've <laughs> run you've run the whole gamut. So um, yeah. <laughs> so what got what got you started with Big Finish then? How did you sort of pop upon their radar? Well, as with most lucky breaks, it was connections. 
you know, I had never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even understand what it was that I had turned up to do on the mm. first day. Uh, it was because I was friends with Barnaby Edwards and mm. Nick Pegg. Um, I had done Macbeth on tour with Barnaby uh, and I had done a panto with both of them uh, subsequently. And then Barnaby just contacted me one day and said, do you want to play a really small character, uh, just one scene in this Doctor Who audio drama? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, and then I turned up, of course, it's Colin, it's, um, it was Colin, wasn't it? It was Colin Baker, yeah. Spectre, Spectre of Lanyon Moor. And, you know, we had our Brigadier and we had Susan Jameson and, you know, all these familiar faces. And and obviously I just loved it. I got killed by goblin yeah. aliens or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote to Gary Russell, who was the producer at the time. Mm. Uh, I emailed him and I said, I absolutely loved every second of that. I don't care what you cast me as. I, I will. I, I don't care if I make a fool of myself. I have zero inhibitions. Um, I will do whatever silly voices you you want me to do. <laughs> and he took me at my word and and cast me as aliens for yeah. years afterwards. Mm. I mean, I've played so many aliens. Because I mean, looking at <laughs> looking at the credits as well. I mean, you appeared as an actor in again some of the earlier stuff like Storm Warning, Sword of Orion, yeah. Minuet in Hell. Uh, yeah, blood tide yeah. and and the one of the early adventures that you appeared in that i listened to recently and i i adored it was um doctor who in the pirates the sort yeah. of musical extravaganza yes. and i had yeah. i had no context that that was coming halfway through so you know you listen yeah. to it and you're like oh yeah this is like doctor who does the pirates then all of a sudden colin baker starts singing and, yeah, <laughs> and then you all start singing yeah. i thought this is great so. it was genius it was <laughs> so bold and and uh, you know, such an innovative thing to do. And Colin is so great at all that as well. It was yeah. such a platform for his musical skills. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a highlight. That was a brilliant yeah. experience. I mean, the I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General is a difficult song anyway. Yes. And then when he's yeah. got all those different lyrics to throw in, I thought, my God, this must have been. I mean, yeah. did, did he do it all in one take or did it take a few goes to get it done? I can't remember. But what we did have was two days rehearsal, which we never, ever have. Mm. Not before or since have I rehearsed for, for a big finish. Yeah. So that was unique. You know, mm. and we had a musical director. We had the amazing Tim Sutton uh, oh, doing the musical direction and arrangement. So, yeah, it was a unique experience at Big Finish. Mm. So, and when they cast you for that role in Doctor Who and the Pirates, did they were they aware you could sing, or was it a big surprise? You just sang, and they were like, "Wow, we well, didn't." Know <laughs> no, they knew. They knew. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite know how they knew. <laughs> they did know. They've got their agents. Big finish. They're everywhere. Yes. So, yeah. Fingers in every pie. Yeah. But no, if anyone hasn't heard Doctor Who and the Pirates, please go and listen to it. It's an experience you'll never forget for many reasons. Um, but then, of course, um, you've you've not just only acted in Big Finish, as I said at the beginning, you've done so many other roles. And one I wanted to talk to you about specifically was some of some of the stuff you've written, including mm -hmm. this old thing, Subterfuge, ah, which came out yes. in the last year. Sylvester McCoy, Ian McNeese, Rufus Hounds. Was was that an idea, the whole Churchill 1945 vibe? Was that an idea <coughs> that was sort of pitched that, to you by Big Finish? or? Yes, that those elements were prescribed to me, that it needed to be set uh, just before the, um, the first general election after the war mm. and that the monk was there to meddle with the outcome. Mm. And But from that point onwards, everything else, I had to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And I must say, I... 
I've had terrible writer's block on a couple of occasions with Quick Finish, and that one was one of them where there were so many elements, there was so much to take on board and so much research. Um, And then I sat for a week and thought, I don't, I can't. Yeah. I don't know what to write. Yeah. I don't know who the you know <laughs> who is everybody. It was so hard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the end, I used the post-it note method, which I hadn't used before. I just wrote all the incidents and I put them all in order, you know, yeah. all over the table and yeah. kind of took it from there. Yeah, the historicals. I imagine they must be quite a sort of different beast to write because, of course, when you're dealing with any part of history, <laughs> like you say, you've got to do that extra research to make sure. Oh, did yeah. what was Churchill's speech like? Did he say this? Where did he stand yeah. for? Was that, did that sort of add on top of that pile you were talking about? Sort of, I've, yeah. I've got the sort of writer's block, but now I've also got history to deal with. You know? So, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember years ago thinking I was quite envious of a friend of mine who had to do lots of research for uh, a Mike Lee film that she was in, Topsy Turvy, mm. and it was um, she had to research her character and everything about Gilbert and Sullivan. And I remember thinking, oh, I'd like to do that. <laughs> Little did I know. Yeah. And then you get <laughs> tasked with I'd it. Doing... Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. But at least now we have the internet. My goodness, oh, I don't know what, what I would do without that. Oh, but yeah. no, I enjoy it. I And I'm very pedantic. I want it to be accurate and mm. I want it to be, you know, a, a strong representation of who that historical character really was. Yeah. Um, and that's why I made Churchill not quite as sympathetic as he has been in, in some others. You sure. Finish. Yeah. I wanted him yeah. to to be slightly sexist as he as he was yeah. in that era. And, yeah, you know, so he's quite the controversial liberal. figure when you get to like the nuts and I guess the nuts and yeah. bolts of who he was. But and one part of the story I I quite liked in a way. And that spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened to it, I'll put a time code in somewhere if you want to <laughs> skip. But um, the ending, I kind of liked how it was. Because a lot of Doctor Who adventures either sort of you know they've they've solved whatever it is and they're off in the TARDIS and da 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 title sequence. Whereas with this one, I kind of liked it was sort of a bit bit more downbeat. You know, Churchill sort of turning his back on this version mm. of the Doctor because from what we've heard so far, you know, they're all they're all, he's great mates with a, a great many of them. Yeah. But I kind of liked how you took that sort of no, like he wouldn't just brush aside that the Doctor basically cocked up the election for him. He'd take that very yeah. much on the chin and turn his back on him so uh, yeah it was it was just did that feel like the natural end in a way as opposed to say you know Sylv getting back in the TARDIS and taking off yeah you You have to go with the the truth of the the journey really and in essence the Doctor is is hoodwinking Churchill throughout for the greater good for the sake of of this fixed point in history Um, but Churchill demanded loyalty from people and yeah uh, you know, to didn't. have someone, yeah, yeah. it just it wouldn't have made sense for him to forgive him. He, he would have felt terribly betrayed. So, yes, you just have to go with the natural um, character journey, really. Yeah. And what was it like working with Rufus Hound, who is currently at the time of recording, wowing <laughs> us on Dancing Stacey. on Ice? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I, I talk to David Richardson, I, I think I'm recording a couple of things with Rufus in the near future. Mm. And um, David keeps saying, oh, well, when he's finished Dancing on Ice, and it just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> talking about that when, uh, when's the roof is available when he's finished when he's finished on ice. skating yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Bless him. laughs> well I, i'll be honest i didn't um i didn't get to see rufus recording in fact i didn't get to, to the recording at all for that um, oh, okay 
for that drama. I was so busy. And mm. then I heard it for the first time when we got the CD in the post. Wow. So that was exciting. Yeah. No, he's such a charismatic, like you just, you're hooked on him, aren't you? Whenever he speaks, he's got yeah. such an energy about him, such a vibe about him. And yes. um, it's strange looking back, because I think Subterfuge actually came out just before the the world ended, shall we say. So it's quite, <laughs> it was quite surreal for like looking back on the Big Finish website, seeing like, oh, March 2020. I was like, ah, yeah, those were the days. <laughs> those yeah. were the steadfast days. But what's it like? Yes. Um, I'm not asking to divulge into anything now, of course, no, spoilers. No. But um, what <laughs> is it like recording now, I suppose, in this, you know, this lockdown environment where we can't really be with each other? Well, I mean, it's amazing how we managed to keep going mm. at first because we were really finding our feet. For the first few weeks, we didn't break stride. We just kept on recording what we said we were going to record. But initially, we were using Zoom, mm. which kind of meant it was a bit unreliable in terms of the, the sound yeah. quality. Um, but it was great to be able to see the actors. And then we reverted. We changed to a system called Clean Feed, where we have a sound engineer in a central studio mm. and we all dial in on our clean feed links and it's all audio only so oh, nobody good. can see each other mm. uh, and so it's incredibly clear and it and it does work but mm. it's a different kind of energy it's so hard to you know to do a, a full day of directing like that is so intense yeah. it's intense at the best at the best of times but it's just so hard when it's just coming through your ears and you can't see anyone yeah um but you know you'll listen to the audios and you'd never know they were done oh completely you know, i listened to been. um a peter davison one the other day shadow of the daleks i think and in the little behind the scenes he talks about how they recorded it in lockdown but i I'd sort of sat back and thought i would have yeah. never have guessed it was recorded you know with everyone in their bedrooms you know in yeah. their dressing gowns or whatever but well except they're not in their bedrooms this is what's funny is that people are literally in their wardrobe or in the cupboard <laughs> under the stairs or wrapped in duvets in the attic yeah um and you know, sometimes I had one actor the other day who literally had a duvet over her head. So every time she went to the computer to, to you know, label up the file, because mm. everyone's recording on their home system as well as yeah. a backup, then she we had to wait for her to get back under her blanket, you know. <laughs> oh, it's honestly, I mean, it's incredible, as you say, how the audio world has been able to continue through these means. Yeah. But yeah, people, I think some people don't realise the lengths people have to go to to no. get that quiet sound and stuff. And I think you're yeah. right on the intensity as well. My my partner at the minute, at the time we're recording this, is doing a acting project, but it's um eight hour days over Zoom. And I think, you know, some people yeah. say, oh, that's quite easy. You know, you sit there and oh. you're on. But I mean, staring at a screen for the best part of the day, it's by the end, you're like... <sighs> Like, you know, it's yeah, just... it really is draining. I mean, for in any business that's working online, it's a completely different sort of part of the brain that's engaged with on screen stuff. And yeah, yeah, I'm really so looking forward to seeing actors in person again. You know? <laughs> me and you both, and, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I'm not a very theatrical person. I'm mm. not kissy or huggy or I've always been a bit like, oh, are we going to kiss? I don't know you. <laughs> But now I think I'm just going to be all over everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's when we're allowed to be. Yeah, we've all missed each other after so long. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. it's cre But I think the industry, I mean, I'm, I'm, as you say, from Big Finish, it's it has this incredible tendency to just adapt. I mean, I did a I did a Christmas show, a pantomime, but it was all drive-in theatre, so no one left their cars. It was all tuning into the radio and... <gasps> 
Yeah, and wow. just being on a stage again, I sort of, obviously it's Christmas and it's very fulfilling anyway because, you know, you're giving kids that Christmas feeling, yeah. but it feels even more so now because you sort of think this, if this was any other way, this wouldn't have happened, you know, it couldn't have yeah, happened. So, yeah. yeah, the industry's, it's one of the many wonderful things of the industry, isn't it? That adaptation, if you like. But yeah. Um, yeah, in, yeah in... I suppose so. I mean, I, I hope maybe that online theatre will be available in future. I think there are lots of people that can't get to the theatre for whatever reason. Mm. And it would be great if we carry on that, that, that new thing where you can buy a ticket to watch it online. Yeah. Um, I was enjoying no reason the, why not to. Um, exactly. I, I was enjoying the, before like, before the world ended, the, uh, the yeah. s- certain cinema screenings. Because, you know, for yeah. some national theatre or RSC, there were sometimes, sometimes I'd be down there and I could see it. But then other times I found it quite, I know it's very, mm. you know, 50-50 debate. And some people say, oh, it's great. And some people say, oh, no, it's terrible. It's ruining theatre. But I think in terms yeah. of accessibility, it's a great idea. Yeah. I went to see Funny Girl um, at the cinema starring Sheridan. Smith and um, and I'm really glad I saw it at the cinema because I could see that every nuance of her performance hmm. and I that wouldn't have been the case in the theatre. Yeah, like the, I, like I really the top row at the back it. of the, <laughs> the yeah, back of the circle. I, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing the subtlety of what she was doing. Yeah, so, yeah no, it's we'll fantastic. We'll and um, in terms of your directing that you've done for Big Finish, you've directed lots you've directed like yeah. the eighth doctor time war the ninth tenth eleventh and twelfth doctor chronicles lady christina yeah. um but two, there were two i specifically wanted to touch on with you and the first of those was the eighth of march box set which was oh, released yeah. to celebrate the women in Do- the doctor who world of course for anyone who doesn't know the eighth of march is international women's day so um <laughs> again was how did big finish pitch that to you then well i think the they kind of stole the idea for, that we pitched for Attergirl <laughs> in that we, we wanted to um, release that on International Women's Day. I think that was Louise's idea, mm. Louise Jameson. Um, and then Big Finish, uh, I think, enjoyed that process and they thought, well, what can we do for the next International Women's Day? And this seemed very appropriate. Um, but as I always say, I mean, I love that we're celebrating the female characters of Doctor Who, mm. but I, I really find the debate around should it be an all-female thing or you know what's the big deal of it being an all-women creative team and the fact that it is still a big deal <laughs> is the is the problem what yeah. I would love is for people not to not to comment on it yeah so I'd love to get to a point where an all-female team is not a novelty so that you know yeah that people feel the need to comment oh it's all women no it's, it's irrelevant the number of all-male creative teams yeah over the years yeah no i I remember Um, listening to him on david tennant's podcast i think he had jim parsons from big bang theory and he said a similar thing but in regards to race how he he went into a board meeting for a a tv show pitch or something and he noticed that the person at the head of the table was a a person of color and he said you know his mind immediately thought oh wow that's not something you see every day and he said that's that's part of the problem that's, he says that's the problem we need yeah. to stop thinking oh wow fancy you getting yeah. that position and I yes. think I think you're right it's the same with women you, we shouldn't really be going oh wow an all-female creative t- how, no. how wonderful is that it should just so be what yeah. yeah exactly but um <laughs> no there, there's some great stories in there and I think just I, I thought it was it was just a great release you know it was another quality mm. big finished box set featuring a ton of talented creatives but yes mm. yeah 
And um, the other one I wanted to talk about, because this one took me by surprise, I must admit, it was the Rose Tyler Dimension Canon series. Oh, because, one of my favourites. Mm, yeah. Mine too, because when it was announced, I sort of thought, you know, before you hear anything, your mind goes, hmm, like, how, I was, how could they make that into a boxer, I think was my prevailing thought. And then I gave it a listen, and I was blown away. I loved the sort of, um, I guess you could say it was a more, would you agree, maybe more like a darker tone than a lot of people were expect it in, yeah. in a positive sense but I, I sort of liked how it sort of relished in how they went to these different dimensions and how you know in a lot of cases it didn't necessarily end in a happy ending yeah I think it was very original the tone of the whole thing and the fact that it was more about relationships mm. and the emotional journey of characters rather than full-on explosions and running around yeah. adventure it actually wasn't that at all yeah um, and it was this wonderful notion of the butterfly effect, isn't it? If I make one choice differently in my life, this is how profoundly differently it could end up. Yeah. Um, you know, if I d didn't cross the street that day, I wouldn't have met so-and-so and my life wouldn't have gone in that direction. And, and that's what those dimensions show, really, yeah. that every little choice matters yeah. and has consequences. And I sort of like how it shows the... Um... I guess the, the human nature of, uh, especially, you know, Rose and Pete, or all the characters, really, how, you know, we've seen on TV when Rose gets her first taste of a parallel world, she falls for the trappings. You know, she wants to see her dad who's dead in her world. And and even, and you'd think maybe going into this, you'd think, right, she's, she's wised up to that now. And they all say, you know, before they jump, they're like, right, you know, no emotional connection, get in, <laughs> get out. But I think that's just, it's human nature, isn't it? We can't help but form connections with those we yeah. feel close to, whether they're different dimension or not so it was yeah. yeah it was nice to explore that yeah yeah and and to have the cast back again together yeah. I mean I've worked with Camille Kaduri quite a few times now and she she just never ceases to delight me yeah. just so giving and kind and uh, just delightful mm. as an actor as, as well as a person uh, but to have you know Camille and um and Billy and Sean all together. It was like a family reunion. Yeah. They were all like, oh, God, how are you? And it was all very <laughs> gossipy and excited. And yeah. it was just great to be around that. Mm. And I, I mean, I appreciate your direction and all the creative team's impact on it because I think I do like it on the occasion where projects in the universe of Doctor Who, if you like, aren't afraid to sort mm. of take that more, as you say, relationship focus, that more real focus if you like and you know some will say oh it's a bit dark it's like yeah well life's not exactly peachy keen is it <laughs> so uh <-huh. laughs> and, and I think I found it a lot more hard-hitting now listening to it now I guess you know because the idea is all these dimensions are folding in on themselves they're collapsing and yeah. this might sound very melodramatic but you know actor sorry but um it, that's what I, it feels like <laughs> it's well yeah I mean at the minute you know with with lockdown and stuff I think that's why it sort of hit me a bit more because it that sort of overwhelming yeah. feeling of everything's closing in and that feeling of you can't really do anything about it so I think in that sense relating to Rose a lot more in that she wants to try and help stop it but at this point in time there's there's nothing she can do there's nothing she can do yeah have you listened to time slip at all because that's so prescient the scripts are just I, so I haven't as of yet but I'll I will mm. download it and give that a listen. Yeah. <laughs> don't feel obliged no 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 I'm, I'm, the... I'm... but reading those scripts I thought oh god this is it's actually a, it convey, it paints a horrific future in, in mm. one in particular, right, Andrew Smith. But then you think, well, these are real issues, and these are potentially real things that 
could happen these horrifying yeah. i mean look at what's happened in america i mean i don't want to get diverted <laughs> but i have been obsessed with it oh me and you <laughs> both <laughs> who would have who would have thought i mean i knew it would happen but really who would have thought in in this day and age with all our knowledge all our access to knowledge that that yeah. could still happen yeah absolutely it's madness and i mean we are pre-recording this so this might sound wildly outdated but today is inauguration <laughs> day hooray <Yeah. laughs> i'm so happy <laughs> So we're I've holding. Never, I've never been into politics at all. I'm <laughs> really blissfully ignorant about most of it, but I am. A, I am an expert on American politics now. <laughs> you could deliver a whole obsessed. TED talk on American politics, yeah. and how it all works. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been the same. They, they somehow find a way. I guess, like a lot of American culture, they somehow find a way to make it feel very, very interesting and almost like a yeah. movie. Like, what's the next <laughs> yeah, part? What's going to happen next? Yeah. Well, they put movie music behind all their they videos. <laughs> yeah. It's all like a movie trailer. Yeah, like breaking yeah. news tonight, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the, one of the other um, specifically first Doctor Who projects I wanted to touch on briefly was in the 8th Doctor Time War, the most recent set at the time mm. of recording. Uh, you got to tackle, uh, I believe, Davros, the character of Davros, yes. who is this obviously in the mythos of who is this big character with a lot of uh, backstory. So directing Terry Malloy and that character, again, a story where... I guess we got um, expectations subverted. We see different sides of Davros. What was what was that like yeah. for you working on it? Well, I mean, it's actually it was actually quite a diversion, a, a departure for me. I, I haven't done a Dalek story before, and I haven't done sort of a full on proper time war, you know, explosions in space kind of. It, it felt epic. It's yeah. probably the most epic one I've done, uh, and of course Terry. It's just, it's legendary, isn't it? When you hear, because in the studio, we, we do have the sound effect on the voices for when they are playing those characters. So, of course, I've got my headphones full of Daleks and Davros. <laughs> and it doesn't give you a headache when you're <laughs> doing that online. And then you have to listen to the edits for hours, you oh, know. Oh, bless you. <laughs> you're sick of Dalek voices but, by then. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Nick is such a consummate um so, such a genius at mm. what he does with all those different Dalek characters um, and uh, and Terry of course played the human side of Davros in this very kind of tender mm. way really and then this incredible contrast the, the slide into psychosis you know the psychotic side of Davros it was done so brilliantly yeah. so yeah it's just a, a pleasure to be around that kind of ability and experience yeah. and i guess like you say you forget especially with nick briggs doing the daleks because i you hear on some of the behind the scenes you know you're doing takes and you'll have to retake and he'll do his dalek voice and then all of a sudden you'll hear sorry i got that wrong let's do it yeah. again <laughs> yeah. so take you out of him and hit like oh what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i think in, in time war in particular he had to play lots of different Daleks and you know multiple mm. Dalek voices approaching attack attack yeah. you know, destroy and of course he does it in a different inflection every time but when you're doing you pick him up as wild tracks yeah. at the end of the scene and he just does it on his own attack attack <laughs> attack 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 <laughs> destroy 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 <laughs> the amount of vocal warm-ups that man must do before jumping in the booth I don't think he does any <laughs> really he's just so used to it now he can just yeah. jump in and do it 
because uh, so. we've all tried it you know but let's we've all tried doing dalek <laughs> voices and i know like the amount of warm-up i have to do because it's just again i think people re- when you go if you want to go for it it takes so much of your voice doesn't it to really like yeah. lean into that shouty screamy <laughs> slightly maniacal creature <laughs> We did, uh, when we did the Martian Invasion of Earth, which of course is our version of War of the Worlds, mm. we always at the end of the day, we save the wild tracks for the end of the day, the death screams, yeah. the, um, you know, attack sounds. Uh, and normally it's about half an hour, but we did an hour and a half of death screams of being shot by death rays. And my God, my throat was shredded. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the only woman, the only spare woman. So I had to do all the female death cries. <laughs> Bless you. A lot of honey and lemon afterwards, I bet, right? Yeah. yeah. For the gotcha, for the gotcha. Oh, yeah. An actor's best remedy, folks. Honey and lemon. Just bit of that down you. <laughs> easy, easy. Yeah. None of that awesome. strepsil stuff with meth, whatever the yeah. chemical is in it. Not good for you. Not good. But talking about Martian Invasion of Earth, that segues nicely. I wanted to talk about, so it's almost like you planned that, Helen. Thank you. Ah, um, it well, segues you know. nicely into um, some uh, non-Doctor Who productions from Big Finish, if you like, because I often think, you know, as someone who's listened to a lot of audio drama over the years, obviously Doctor Who is Big Finish's biggest stable but I think sometimes the other projects might get a bit forgotten about or overlooked. And one important project that I am I am saving up for as we speak, but I wanted to talk about to you a bit is, um, you mentioned it earlier, Attergirl, which has oh, had yes, two yeah. box sets. So tell us a bit about that and what sort of prompted that. Well, it's a funny story, really, because uh, Louise, it's Louise's uh, baby. Yeah. In that she had had the idea 10 years before and had been wanting to, you know, tell it, turn it into a TV script. And then she had the idea, well, let's pitch it to Big Finish. So she spoke to David Richardson, the producer, about it. And then they cornered me on a recording day for something else, said, can we have a word? And they took me into another room and said, right, this is the project and we'd like you to produce it. And I said, oh, well, I'm not really a producer. You know, I'm, I'm the creative one. I'm not someone who likes to do the admin. <laughs> Uh, really yeah. <laughs> and David said oh no 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 it's you know you'd have lots of creative input but he also said it won't take up much of your time <laughs> which was a lie, was a lie. <laughs> big old lie <laughs> oh big old fat lie and so they persuaded me to take it on and actually yeah I mean I loved producing I loved overseeing the other scripts I loved co-devising all the storylines um I loved the whole learning process of it mm. and uh and of course, I co-wrote it and played little parts in the first series and then played quite a big part in the second series. And that yeah. might seem quite indulgent, but that's a budgetary thing as well. <laughs> in that the reason I've kind of said, oh, all right, well, we'll do a couple of acting days and you know, it'll cost slightly less because yeah. it's us. Uh, yeah. and so all that comes into play yeah. uh, but that's but what yes, I mean you do everything producer oh, yeah. I'll, I'll do some acting oh I'll do some <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean that I think of all the projects Attergirl is one that I'm most proud of mm. um, because it did nearly kill me I mean the amount of research for that oh was yeah unbelievable. I'm sure yeah if you thought subterfuge was I, a lot of research then. yeah <laughs> and I, I've got slight OCD and so I, I have to it has to be perfect and it has to be the timelines have to be correct like at one point we had a script where there was a an air raid on the place where the girls were and I said mm. well there was there wouldn't have been 
it just wouldn't have been. I couldn't get over it. I couldn't allow yeah, any you couldn't let it slip. Like yeah. That. No. Yeah. It's funny, isn't so, it? Because different people, I mean, the example I'm thinking of the most recent is uh, the Netflix show, The Crown, which of course, mm. I suppose, for those like me who didn't necessarily grow up in that time, I'm seeing on screen and I guess you take a lot of it as face value. Oh, that must have yeah. happened to a degree. But then you chat with, I like chat with my parents and explain it and they go, well, that never happened. So yeah, it's that different thing, isn't license. it? Yeah. It's so, dangerous when you're dealing with real people. Yes. There yeah. has to be a respect underlying that. Mm. And and in fact, we made a very deliberate choice. We had one genuine character in it, which was Pauline, mm. um, the, the commander of the ATA. Mm. And the rest of them were based on, they were characters we'd made up and they were based on real life characters. Yeah. They were a conglomeration of, of real women. Because then it freed us up to have them doing unpleasant things to you know to you you just can't do that with a real life character if you've got any kind of ethics. Yeah. I mean, I I'm quite ethically uh, conflicted about what they're doing in the Crown. Yes, okay. it's good drama, but people believe, as you yeah. just said, people watch it and think that's exactly what happened, and it's yeah. not, and it's not fair on the people that are still living. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cause for them to put some sort of disclaimer on the beginning saying yeah. there's a lot of... I mean, what I did afterwards, after I chat with my parents, I did some further research and thought, oh, yeah, well, that didn't happen. But, of course, not everyone, the casual viewer, might not necessarily do no. that. And then go around, oh, can you believe what they did back in the day to so-and-so, yeah. you know? it's Well, it's a, it's almost like slander, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's libelous yeah. Yeah. because it's it's painting a picture that is not true. And, and I felt a huge moral responsibility because these women were heroes Absolutely. and I, I felt that, you know, morally I couldn't make up stories about them. Mm. And I guess uh, it ties it to back to what you said about um, Churchill in subterfuge. Yeah. You know, you weren't just going to, uh, yes, you want to paint him more realistically, but by the same token, you're not going to make him do something completely that he would never do or didn't do, you know. Like no, that's... no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you have to within the context of well, a Doctor Who story. Yeah, like little bits um, and pieces, but. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, it's a very delicate balance, and mm. we did have uh, actually a member of the public write into us when it was announced we were doing the series, and mm. he was the son of a real ATA pilot, oh, and he wow. was very upset that you know he felt perhaps his mother was going to be written into a, a dramatic context, and and that we hadn't consulted with people like him who were clearly experts about it. Yeah. Um, and I completely understand that. I wouldn't want someone writing about my father yeah. without consulting with me. Mm. So, uh, you know, I could reassure him and say, we're not writing specifically about your mother. <laughs> no, no, of course. I mean, I think that's the right way to go, though, as you say, sort of with the, the, the ethical mindset, really, because the last thing you should mm. want to do when basing real life is disrespect anyone. So, yeah, yeah I think you've gone yeah. about it in the right way. And um, Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And you've, you've also starred um, in The Tomorrow People, as the lead character yes. in that yeah yes. so was that something again big finish approached you with or was it a project you sort of saw and thought oh i'd like to get in on that if you like well i i had to audition for that one that's the only oh, one okay. i think i auditioned for yeah um and i think there was discussion around because there's going to be photographs of us on the cover you know mm. that was that came into the casting as well was okay. i going to look right as the character it's back to this thing isn't um, it about yeah, yeah. Which is unusual for an audio drama. So, mm. um, you know, I was delighted to be part of that. And that went on for 10 years. It did. Yeah. Five series. In fact, we recorded a sixth series and then it was never released because, mm. uh, because we lost the license. 
Oh man! So, so it's just a whole new series of it, just sitting there on someone's sitting. hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> Big finish. If you want to scrape back that license, that'd be great. That'd be great. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was yeah. a whole. Yeah. There was a yeah. whole massive arc. Yeah. Yeah. And the last little big finish thing I wanted to touch upon was um, Phantom of the Opera, which um, oh yeah, where you played Christine. So um. Again, yeah. what was that like tackling a, you know, a very much a classical piece of work in the in the audio mm. sense, I suppose? Well, I, I think my main concern about it was that she was supposed to be 18 and I was in my mid 30s at the time. So I was quite <laughs> conscious of having to have a lighter, it was using the lighter part of my voice. Mm. Uh, and and it was weird to be in something about opera, but obviously I didn't sing the opera bits. They had a proper opera singer right. do those bits. Uh, so that was a bit strange. But yeah, I mean, what a thrill to be part of such a classic story and, yeah. and working with my lovely friend Barnaby again, who's such a genius at what he does. Yeah. Um, and Tim Sutton again, who I knew from uh, Doctor Who and the Pirates. So it was getting some of the old gang back together again and yeah. In fact, I embarrassed myself. We had, oh, I can't even remember his name. We had an actor in it who I said to him when I came into the green room, I said, oh, have we met before? We've worked <laughs> together before, haven't we? Uh, and then I spent all day saying, oh, did I meet you at such and such a place? Could I have met you at the Actors Centre? Oh, have we done role play together? Yeah. And then eventually I said, are you famous? <laughs> And he said, no, no, not really. And then later on, I found out he'd played a lead role in Star Trek for years. And oh, God. I went, <laughs> so at the end of the day, I said, when somebody asks you if you're famous, you can legitimately say yes. Yeah, I'm known by people, you know. Just like, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, again, people don't realise in a way, as you say, on one hand, the industry is oversubscribed, but I think it is also yeah. such a small world. I mean, I did a, I did a workshop with a guy who like you say that for like the first hour I was like I know your face I was like I know mm. I know who you are and he was like you seem familiar <laughs> and then we clocked he was an old mate at school who moved away when he was nine and I hadn't seen him for 10 years and I was like what are you wow. doing here he's like oh I'm an actor now I was like so am I <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so funny isn't it the people you bump into from either times gone by yeah. or just you know who you who you don't remember but it well, it, it is a tiny, it is a tiny little group of people that get regular work, yes. you know, well, not tiny, but it's a small group of people that are on the circuit, are yeah. rotating from job to job. And, and actually, that's really thrown up an issue in lockdown in that those actors who were used to making their living from acting have been in dreadful straits yeah. and, and understandably in a state of terrible distress. Mm. But the fact remains they are the lucky ones because when it all starts up again, they'll go straight back onto that circuit. Yeah. And the people out in the wilderness who can't get the auditions, who can't, you know, get seen for the work they want, they'll still be unemployed. Yeah. They'll still be banging on the door, you know. Um, so yeah, it's sort of thrown up at the the clarity of the great divide. You're very lucky if you're making your living just from acting. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think very, very few people do. I think I read there was a statistic. I think when I was leaving drama school, you know, again as you say, preparing for the real world, and I think at that time it was something crazy, like ninety six percent of that, or maybe even higher, in, in the nineties percent of actors don't make their full living off acting. Which is you know, well, I didn't for years. Yeah, I, didn't for years. I, I still don't now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, no, I don't. I don't. You know, obviously, I'm a writer and a director. Of course, and a producer, yeah, yeah. And a singer and mm. a 
uh, and I did role play yeah. training. You know, I was a role player and a training consultant and a training designer, mm. and a behavioral trainer yeah. for years and years and years yeah. in between acting. Yeah, I get. I think you sort of have to be though, don't you? Because you know, especially mm. when you're when you're starting out, and I think it's something they need to drill in more in training because it was it was sort of done with us a little bit, but I think not enough. That sort of you know, you will not walk out of here and <laughs> and be in constant work. Whatever, even if it's you know doing. I don't know, like TIE constantly. It's not a guarantee. And I love yeah. TIE. I think that's, I think it gets such a stigma, TIE. Oh, you're doing schools yeah. work. Oh, well, you're not, you're not, yeah. you're not doing a serious job, are you? And it's like, you kidding? Like, this is the future yeah. generations here, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, I always say now, I wish that I had learned to do plastering, mm. woodwork, <laughs> hairdressing. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, no, yeah, you yeah. Be an actor, learn a skill like that, learn plumbing, learn bricklaying, mm. um, because those are the jobs you can flex a bit. Yeah. You say, I'm a brilliant plasterer and I'll come and do it in one evening mm. because yeah. I've got an audition during the day. I, I would have loved to have learned how to plaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's all these hand, but this is what I think we mean though, isn't it about sort of encouraging that for those coming into it, sort of learn as many side skills as you can, not just to necessarily bank yeah. it all on, on, on the one thing, but um. Uh, and uh, obviously you did Phantom. Would you love to give it a crack in the musical version, if given the chance? Well, do you know, I was funny about the mainstream musicals because I was so keen on new writing and, mm. and repertory theatre and playing different characters within a rep season. And there were quite a few occasions where my agent said, do you want to go for Starlight Express? Do you want to go for Cats? Do you want to go for Les Mis? Um, and, and I don't think I ever auditioned for Phantom. Mm. And... Um, it just never appealed to me. I didn't want to step into someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. That's I wanted fair. to create the role. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, with new musicals, I mean, now with, with the pandemic, it's harder than ever, isn't it, for new writing to get that mm. get that showcase. And those that did, even from the bigwigs, what was that? Um, the Andrew Lloyd Webber one a few years ago. Is it St- Stephen, Stephen Ward? Or Stephen oh, Ward? Oh, yes. Good Lord, yeah. yes. And that, that was only on. A trace, didn't it? Yeah, it was only on for about six months and that was from Andrew Lloyd Webber and that couldn't survive so I mean you know if you look at that you sort of think what chance does you know Joe Bloggs have of writing something you know I'm part of a uh, well I've taken a break this year but I have been part of a musical theatre association called Mercury Musicals Mm. uh, Mercury Musical Developments and they have hundreds and hundreds of members who are all writing new musicals Mm. and uh, I've sort of taken a step back from it because I just think it, exactly as you just said, it's so hard to get it on. And you might work on a musical for five years and then get a three-month run at a rep yeah. theatre if you're lucky. But you're not going to make money from it and it's not going to have longevity. That It's so rare yeah. that you make a living from it. And I just i am too old and I don't have time. <laughs> you, you're never too old, <laughs> Helen. Never too old in this industry. But... <laughs> I nearly am too old, yeah. yeah. It's mad. I mean, just before the pandemic, we were... I was part of a new musical that was going to tour around Yorkshire called No Horizon, and oh. it was it was oh, a, yeah. it was about this uh, this real life character called Nicholas Saunderson who was blind in the 1700s, but he was mathematically gifted, and he became a leading professor at Cambridge, and he's got a statue there that oh. you can't see because it's in like a corner of the campus somewhere, and um, wow. I was going to be playing that role, and you know the writer ah. the writer had been writing this since 2003. So this was like 17 years in the making. It was going to tour the northern venues. And then two days before opening night, Boris comes on TV. Yeah, stay away from theatres. And we've had to, unfortunately. (gasps) Well, it's postponed at the time of recording. We're hoping that maybe 
end of this year, maybe the start of next. Because all the venues were like, we still want this, which is, you know, great. But yeah, I just felt sorry for the writer because, you know, after 17 years, you think I'm finally going to get it performed on a tour. And then that happens. Devastating. Devastating. Yeah, I know a a writer who, his show, The Wicker Wicker Man, which is a brilliant show, Mm. so outstanding. Uh, It had its preview, it had one performance and then lockdown happened. Oh. And that, and they had worked on that for years, years and years. It's, <sighs> but again, what can you know? It was sort of like, what could we do? You can't fight what, no. and you you want everyone to be safe. It was the right decision. It's just so, so heartbreaking. Mm, but um, one one of the final things I wanted to ask you though, Helen, is um, if you were ever offered the chance to write a script for Doctor Who the TV show, would you do it? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. <yeah. laughs> Well, I had an interesting chat um, with Nick Griggs and Jason Hay-Gallery about uh, this the other day. Mm. And what we realised is that we're very unusual at Big Finish because we are autonomous. We don't have great big um, authorities giving us the say-so about our scripts. We're basically in a unique position where we can come up with an idea. We can go to Nick or David or um, Jason and say, here's my idea. Do you like it? And they'll say yes or no. Yeah. And then you write it and then they make it. Yeah. And for TV, of course, they've oh, got okay. so many people overseeing it and twiddling with it and interfering. So that would be difficult for me. I'm used to being left to do it. Left to your own device sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And then obviously we've got editors, amazing editors who come in and say, no, that needs to change. But oh, yeah, I'd love to. I absolutely love to. And and, and touching on Jodie, of course, who is, I, again, I agree with you, doing a fantastic job as our 13th Doctor. Um, just mm. as a... Um, as a woman yourself and as a as an actor as well when she was cast you know this again is it is it back to this thing we were talking about in the 8th of march whilst you know everyone's saying oh it's the first female doctor do you think it shouldn't have necessarily been like the driving focus of it necessarily or yes that's a shame that was the inevitable you know that had to had to happen all the politics around it and the yeah. The big backlash around it's not my show anymore. It's not my doctor. It's like, well, that's what the mute button on Twitter's for. For that, yeah, <laughs> I kind of understand it. I do. I do understand that it's a it's a hard leap for some people, but I think it adds so many exciting dimensions mm. to it, and mm. and the future is so so exciting because who's going to be next? Oh well, it? exactly. Who yeah. knows? So I, I think my my stance has always been like I. Because a lot of the actors, especially when I was growing up, you know, I didn't know who David Tennant was at nine years old. I, I had no, no preconceptions. And I think that's how I like to go into it a lot of the time, especially if it's an actor I'm not familiar with. It's sort of nice to go, oh, cool. Let's just see what they're going to do with it rather than, oh, yeah. well, well, they did this, this and this. And I didn't like that, which means automatically they yeah. must be bad for this. It's like, well, <laughs> different jobs, a different job. You know, I mean, it's. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's all interpretation isn't it and and interpretations aren't going to be for everyone no, but that is the the point of art i mean mm. i remember when i started with big finish i had some horrible reviews fan reviews oh. for a couple of roles like real coming up in the first google search helen goldwyn is terrible in this role oh, and it doesn't bother me mm. at all because I think you put yourself out in the public domain. People are absolutely entitled to their opinion. Yeah. And if you didn't like that performance, you are. I respect that. That's your opinion. Yeah. Um, no, just that's fair enough. I prefer it didn't come up in the first search. 
It'd be like a weird criticism, like, oh, I didn't like the way you died. It's like, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll scream differently next time. <laughs> but that's the perils of, of anything in the public domain. It's like when you, if you write something, mm. if some people loathe it and some people love it, that's preferable mm, to everyone yeah. going, mm, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's better to provoke strong emotion. Yeah. So if the inevitable time came, you know, whoever the next person is to take the role and then Jodie comes to Big Finish, would you be first in line to write a script for her or director? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, of course. Mm. Um, it, it's always dependent on what you've got going on at the time. Like oh, I was yeah. asked to write a really exciting script idea for, for one of the doctors recently. And I thought, well, I just haven't got time to do that. I haven't got time. <laughs> which is a, a privileged position to be in of course yeah but yeah let's hope let's hope one day fingers uh, crossed we have that scenario yeah because mm. there's no set time to write in these scripts is there it's not like oh yeah it takes a few hours to bash that out like you said with subterfuge it could be a fairly quick process or a fairly longer process depending on oh, yeah. to say what you're busy with where you're at in life or anything really yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes me quite a long time it takes me longer than most i think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah but, it hurts my brain, that yeah. process. But you still get them out there because, I mean, I've known from a few friends who have tried to do, you know, fan productions of, or, or, you know, or fan audio productions. And they said, oh, it took me X amount of years to write it. And I said, oh, is that because you didn't have the idea? Mm. They went, no, no, I always had the idea. But they said writing for audio is a completely different beast compared to writing for anything visual, really. Yes, yeah, it is. But I think one of the great things that I've experienced is the pressure of a deadline, because actually you can quite easily write a thousand words a day and mm. frequently you can write more than that. So if you're writing a one hour script, that's 10,000 words. So in theory, you should be able to do that in two weeks yeah. or less. There you and go, I have folks. done one in that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah? <laughs> I wish. But that's only if you've plotted it out. You have to have your mm. plot beats really so intricately and 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 you know yeah. ready to ready to roll i wish i'd heard you say that when i did my dissertation i tell you what that one yeah been so, <laughs> i did the classic thing of, a day. you know you get like the full year to do it and i think in september yeah. i was like right i'll get the first draft by christmas christmas oh, i'll do it by easter and then oh i've got one week left right i should probably start writing this now <laughs> oh my god but i mean doing a dissertation oh at drama school when you're in like nine till six every day you come in i'm like i don't want to write a dissertation i've been jumping about for nine hours you <laughs> know yeah it's very hard very hard very hard I, I enjoy the i enjoy the fact that i'm allowed to come up into our little bedroom and write all day mm. you know that's my job now yeah and uh and what a joy a that feeling. must be you know just saying i can yeah. just write and that's my job that's that's yeah. so good yeah so lucky absolutely so lucky. and the last main question i wanted to ask you helen is if out of all the projects you've done not just big finish i'm talking anything you've ever done and i know that's <laughs> a lot as we've established that is a lot of stuff what would you say out of all of that if you could pick one as like what's the i guess the project you've done that made you feel the most proud like you know the one you'll look back and think i'm really proud i i did that i had a musical comedy trio called ladies go diva mm. um uh, it started out as a one-woman show and it was songs and lyrics by me. Mm. So it was all written by me. I wrote all the harmonies. I wrote the script. I produced it. I promoted it. I, you know, did everything. And our first big gig was at the English Theatre of Hamburg. Mm. It was the first time we'd really done the show. And um, people stood and stamped at the end. They stood wow. on their feet and cheered and stamped. Yeah. And it went on for 
over 10 minutes it was a stamping wow. ovation yeah and I wow. uh in the taxi on the way to the pub afterwards to, to have a drink I I was crying and crying and crying because it had been such a lot of hard work getting it ready yeah. but also that feeling of I knew I was good <laughs> I knew I had something special yeah I knew it I told you all yeah. for 20 years I told the industry they wouldn't listen yeah and at that night I felt resolved you know I felt like oh it's okay yeah. it's okay now you yeah. know all that frustration yeah um has, has actually led to this the reason I'm a writer and the reason I'm a composer is because you rejected me it's because you wouldn't let me in and yeah. so it had to come out in this way and actually what I've created is better than being in your show hell yeah <laughs> I, I almost want to punch the air hearing that it's like yeah that's right big middle finger to the establishment yes, I like it. Uh... And, and would that sort of be your advice for any young creative of any kind going forward that thing of sort of if the establishment doesn't like you sort of who cares just drive on do your thing and you've got no excuse not to I didn't have mobile phones and and iPads and internet and you know all these platforms when I was starting out and you have got no excuse not to be writing something writing monologues writing sketch shows if you can't write find your peers who can facilitate it produce it encourage others you know use your creative energy and your creative frustration to become something different and something better I would not be a full-time creative I'm in the privileged position of being a writer director an actor a singer a composer totally on my own terms because the industry wouldn't let me in Uh, and I and that I turned all that uh, that um, creative energy into something else Um, so that is my recommendation try your best to create your own work and find your own niche I want all of that on a big long poster with you like <laughs> pointing out like the old World War One, just uh, saying. But I think it is so, you know, it is so important for people to hear that because the amount of friends I've talked to, younger and older, who sort of feel, you know, the industry for them is demoralizing, you know, because. Oh, it, terrible. Yeah. So I think we need terrible. to hear things like that every now and then just sort of saying, you know, if the establishment doesn't like you, if you like, then just do it, mm-hmm. do it yourself. So. Yeah, do it your way. I remember chatting to, I'm going to name drop now, I was chatting to Catherine Tate uh, when I recorded The Creeping Death. Mm. And uh, she had just finished doing a pilot of something in America, her own show. And obviously she'd had huge success with her show in, in the UK. And I said, did you plan any of this? Mm. Did you have like a mood board and <laughs> vision? <laughs> she said, no, God, no. You know, she did just, I just said yes to everything and things kind of happened. But of course she was... But creating her own work, yeah. you know, she was becoming all these things that she knew she had the capacity to become. And so luckily someone else saw the potential of that, but she was doing it herself. Yeah, you know. absolutely. So, yeah, don't don't let them get you down. <laughs> don't let the bastards get you down. That's the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Helen, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for a lovely hour of conversation as well. I've really, really My enjoyed pleasure. this. And it's um, great to meet you. And you, and you as well. And before we wrap up, if is there any um anything you'd like to shout out, any projects or anything, feel free to do so. Uh well, I think the next thing that's coming out of mine is a primeval design mm. starring Tom Baker. Oh yes. <laughs> Lovely deep voice. I, I think I'm the first woman, since we've been talking about this, I'm the first woman to write for the fourth doctor. I really? Think. Wow. I might be wrong. No, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to, 
you might be right. I think you're right that. on T on the I know the TV ones. On I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah. It only took what uh, nearly fifty years since he's been on screen. Yeah, yeah. Mad. So that was I'm really proud of that one. That that script is epic. Mm. It's an ep- epic tale. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, guys, check that out. It's all everything we've talked about. I believe is the Big Finish stuff is on the Big Finish website to download or buy on CD in some form. So. You should now just type in Helen Goldwyn on Big Finish, download everything. (laughs) There is a lot, but download everything and give it a listen. And um, if you enjoyed this, if you're watching on the YouTube, thank you very much. Please consider subscribing, leaving us a like, all that good stuff. We've got new episodes coming for you every week. And if you're listening on Spotify, all the streaming stuff, I hope you've enjoyed listening. I know I certainly would have done. I'll be listening to this back. I hate the sound of my own voice. But (laughs) if anything to hear that speech at the end, you know, that rousing speech, I love it. But but no, um, thank you very much to those who are watching and listening. And Helen, once again, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. It's just lovely to meet you and well done for what you're creating with this. You know, this is a creative outlet and, you know, this is all fantastic. Mm. So I think it's fair fair to say the creative side of everything has saved me during this last year, as it has a lot of people, I think. So long may that continue. So thank you, Helen. And for everyone watching and listening, I will catch you in the next one. Bye.